This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Sarah Shaggett. I'm your second Bad Ideas host. And my name is Zach Valenti, your third Bad Ideas host. And today we have an additional writer here in the Bad Ideas Posse. They are a newly published author. They, their debut novel, Iris Sano, Prankmaster General, New School Skirmish, is out now wherever quality books are sold. We're very, very happy to welcome back to the show, Zoe Tokushigi. Zoe, how are you doing? Hi, I'm, I'm great. Very tired right now. It's that time of the year. It's that, you know, like (laughs) little over three quarters of the way done. Everyone just gets real sleepy. I think that's why the leaves fall off the trees around here. Just like sleepiness is what causes that. (laughs) I'll be very punchy today. Very good. Very good. That's what we want. Right in line with how we are all the time. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) No, but thank you. Uh, But thank you for coming back to the show. Uh, We're very excited to have you back and to get to talk a little bit more about your literary accomplishments in the back half of the show. I will take any excuse to be here, especially if I ever get a chance to embarrass you a little bit. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, Well, let's see what fate has in store for everyone. But first, we have some business of our own to take care of, don't we, folks? Oh, that's right. I believe I have the pleasure of bringing you all to NewYorkPost.com. Oh, Lord. For this little bright ray of sunshine, uh, neighbors want to nip this vandal in the bud. Headline reads, uh, Texas mystery man dubbed Edward Scissorhands cuts neighbors trees overnight. Okay. This is uh, via friend of the show, Kim Procise. A mystery man who residents have dubbed Edward Scissorhands has been bizarrely snipping branches off residents' trees late night in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, stumping cops and neighbors. The self-appointed arborist oddball has trimmed at least a dozen trees on streets in front of homes in the area and was caught on camera several times mid-snip, according to CBS. Quote, sometimes he'll just take a little bit, but then in other people's trees, he'll take massive gobs. Neighbor Ashley Thaman fumed. In home hmm. surveillance footage, the branch bandit can be seen doing the deed normally at around 3 a.m. with an unleashed dog before stepping back to admire his work. Residents just want him to leaf them alone. The stealth bad idea may be all the puns. All the puns. Yeah. Yeah. Quote, I was talking to my wife, Emily. I was like, hey, we had a storm last night. Neighbor Jerry Balkenbush said, referencing downed limbs in front of his home. And she was like, oh, no, that's Edward Scissorhands. And I was like, uh, what? His wife, Emily Balkenbush, said the uh, limb lifter had earned the nickname, a nod to the 1990s Johnny Depp movie, due to his lust for slicing. Quote, people in the neighborhood were talking about it, and it seems like he was just hitting certain streets, Emily Balkenbush said. Police are now How using odd. the footage to investigate who the unwanted tree trimmer may be, the station reported. 
Other residents are peeved because they have to pay for the trees through their homeowners association and say the incidents are becoming more frequent. Quote, he just starts trimming the tree and admiring his work and kind of stepping back, said neighbor Danny Tommen, adding he wants the guy to cut it out. Quote, we really just want him to stop doing this. (laughs) I see. I see. And with that, I put 10 minutes on the clock. Man, just another reason I'm going to rent forever. (laughs) Yeah. I was hoping that we would arrive at some glimmer of motivation for why the man is doing that in the article, because that to me seems the most difficult thing to figure out here, because I think that the lowest hanging branch (laughs) is just kind of the like, this is someone that is having some sort of break with reality and having a Don Quixote moment where he thinks that the trees are evil aliens from the planet Lorgon 9 here to destroy everyone. And I want to avoid that path if at all possible. Well, maybe we can. There's the, there there is like the the sort of Citizen Kane route of someone investigating what the motivation might be. The, this incre- now incredibly wildly successful tech billionaire was noted in his youth for cutting trees in Fort Worth um, late at night. Well, he really wanted to make a sled, and he needed wood. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot, not a lot of forests in Texas, I gotta say. <laughs> but you know, th- there's there's a way to 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 position it so that it is a search for the motivation. I am just basically pushing this problem back until the very end of the movie is what I'm uh-huh. doing. But it's out there. It's an option. Sure, 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 sure. Zoe, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say this just reeks of suburban person who has a very fixed idea of how they want the neighborhood to look. Sure, right. Which I mean, like, that's a force to contend with when someone is like, I really, really want the neighborhood to be Mediterranean art deco, and I really want the trees to be in line with that. There's like a version of succession that is just about a homeowners association in the suburbs of Dallas (sighs) that hasn't been made yet, but truly needs to be. Say more about that. As someone that has only seen two episodes of Succession, I'm not quite sure that I grasp what that would look like. Sure. I mean, Succession, um, for anyone who hasn't watched it, um, is a television show about Rupert Murdoch-esque clone, basically. Uh, Brian Cox runs a giant, evil Fox News media conglomerate. And it is about, he's in his 80s, who is going to take over for him of his children. And they're all fuckwits uh, of different varieties. And it it is kind of about the sort of jockeying for power and uh, failing up of the incredibly rich and elite. It's a lot of fun. Well, now that you say this, I'm surprised there hasn't been a Parks and Recreation style like faux documentary show about a homeowners association somewhere. Truly. Yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing is that it is a little bit shot documentary style Mm -hmm. although it doesn't have it isn't a mockumentary where where there's you know talking heads right the asides to the camera and the thing about that that i think links vast media conglomerates and homeowners associations (laughs) is that the exercise of power tends to dwarf and in fact um, often consume the actual issues on the table and it becomes very much about people's egos and the petty things that they will do to 
try and wrest control from other people and like who has grudges against who, like, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. Right. At the end of the day, it's less to do about having nice things and more to do about who gets the say so over what is had. Sure, 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 sure. And people will cut off their noses to spite their face. Right. And so this feels like an incident in sort of an ongoing run between two people who are campaigning to be heads of the Homeowners Association. And then, you know, there's Jerry over there who's cutting the trees <laughs> late at night and no one knows why. And what are they going to do about them? And then you have your, you know, your two candidates who each try to solve the Jerry problem. I see. So there's kind of an element of now Jerry is the thing that cannot be controlled that is exposing sort of primal force yes (laughs) yes the intransigence of the power that cassandra and michael have for so long for the past 10 years have been trying to to you know assert their supremacy over like real world question how much power does a homeowners association have like if they truly are done with Jerry, what is the most that they can do? Can they actually kick him out? Or is it just like, we'll wag our fingers at you and hate you? I think it depends on the neighborhood. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes there's fines involved because some homeowners associations have like, you have to keep your lawn this manicured and you can't paint your house a different color other than these five colors or whatever. Sure, sure. But if you're willing to pay the fines. Yeah. Hey. Right. Then there are basically no rules. Gotcha, gotcha. Then yes, then I think this does need to be sort of a, I think it is a movie, and I think that it is a movie about how these two people, they've been vying for power in the game of homeowners association. You get the votes or you die, sort of, you know, Game of Thrones machination styles. You die a social death, not like a, you know, your life will be over, except you'll still be going to the Kroger to get groceries and things. Right, 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 right. You just won't be invited for cucumber sandwiches whenever the tailors have their ice cream socials in their backyards. Right. And if you do happen to make it in, they will not cut off the crusts for you. Right, 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 right. But yeah, but so this Cold War has been warming up for the last five years. It's all heading up for the big election. And then two months before the election, Jerry from the end of the block just starts... I think it can't just be trees. I think that it needs to be like, yeah, like he paints his house with polka dots. He, you know, destroys some people's flower beds. He just like starts going on this destructive tear through the neighborhood. And anything that they tell him, it's just like, bill me. I don't care. Yep. No. So related to this, in in my hometown, you're not supposed to Airbnb. Mm. And this woman who has a house down by the beach was Airbnb out her, her home. And her neighbors knocked on her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she painted a bunch of like rude emojis on the side of her house. Wait. <laughs> Beautiful. Seriously? Yeah. That's incredible. It, it was truly like, on the one hand, I, I, I sympathize housing in my, in my hometown is very hard and expensive. Mm-hmm. It, it like having a place that's just Airbnb rental kind of sucks. On the other hand, very funny. <laughs> Oh, my God. And it solves the dual purposes of spiting the people. And then also, oh, which house is the Airbnb? The one with the giant emojis. You're not going to miss it. Yeah, holy shit. I mean, that's the kind of aggressive, passive aggression we live for on this show. That's right. That's right. Yeah. How much time do we have left? We have just under two minutes on the clock. Okay. Yeah. And I guess that then Michael and Cassandra, the people that are vying for the homeowners association, trying to solve the Jerry problem, they are our protagonists. Yeah. And it 
it follows like the increasingly passive aggressive lengths that they will go to to do this, which only makes Jerry worse. Really, um, I think we can definitely have obnoxious changes to his house or obnoxious changes to the neighborhood. Uh, the pool gets dyed molasses black or whatever like no and of course you know what does happen jerry joins the race as the anarchy candidate That's for right. the, the homeowners association you know it's like elect me and you can do whatever you want paint your house however you want like you know uh what's that terrible quote that's like uh do as thou wilt shall be the full extent of the law in the right. jerry administration <laughs> oh my god and everyone's just complaining about how housing prices are gonna drop Jerry that's for right, Anarchy right. 2024. But slowly but surely, he starts to win people over, you know? Like, Michael blows up at someone because they parked their car on the wrong side of the street, right. and all of a sudden, old Ruth is like, man, Jerry has a point. I think it has to start <laughs> out with sort of more of a Stepford Wives kind of town vibe. Oh, yeah, it has, to, it has to escalate slow. Like, it, we're ramping up to this, for sure. I mean, seconds you left. could go with the Edward Scissorhand aesthetic of that town. When it, right, when right, right. When sort it of very, like, Americana, picturesque town. I don't know what it's called, Zach, in the last 20 seconds. I mean, election. I think Alexander Payne would maybe like a word if we go with that. Well, he can direct this one, too. <laughs> He'd be good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's time. By God, you've done it again. I love it. <laughs> I am genuinely so curious about what is driving the actual person in Texas that was doing these things. Yeah. I hope their slow nervous breakdown calms down. Sure. Um, I have a sneaking suspicion there may have, may have just been a sale at Home Depot for like tree trimmers. <laughs> and, you know, if you got them lying around, the temptation is just there. You're going to use them. He was like, finally. He did his two trees. But he's still got the trimmers. <laughs> Can you see this? This is... This is, the, oh my this is the emoji God. house in my hometown. Send this to us. We'll put it in the link in the show notes as well. I was going to say, yeah, friends um, who are only listening to this, we'll do our best to make sure that this actually gets to you through a visual medium. If you check our Twitter or our website. I also need the LA Times article about it. <laughs> Incredible. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I don't have an LA Times article, but I do have another bad idea. Hit us. Yes, that comes to us from our, our that old chestnut, Am I the Asshole? And this one just is a, an, another like low stakes dilemma that we could escalate and, and make very fun. So link to this will also be in the episode description. The headline reads, Am I the Asshole for Hiding Embarrassing Notes in My House as a Joke Because I Know My Fiance's Mom Snoops? Oh, boy. Yep. So the post reads, I bought a house seven years ago and I met my fiance, Al, four years ago. This year, he moved in. We're talking about making it a home for both of us. But as of now, he hasn't moved much stuff in. Like right now, 95% of the stuff and the furniture in the house is mine. When his mom comes over, she's kind of a snoop. He was used to that. But when mm. she comes over to our house, it's so uncomfortable because she's just going through my shit. Ugh. When I'm bothered, she's like, I was just helping with the chores, etc. Uh -huh. He says that I should just let her because she has, quote, a lot of nervous energy, end quote. Uh, <laughs> that's the justification? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I understand that that is a explanation. 
but I'm not sure that's a good reason. Please go on. I'm sorry. I'm really yeah, sorry yeah. that I cut all these trees in the neighborhood, guys. I just have a lot of what? nervous energy. Yeah, <laughs> if that was a defense. Oh, boy. Crime is legal. Uh, well, here we're getting to the legal crime. One thing that she snooped on was actually embarrassing. In my home office, I had a little affirmation post-it note on my monitors that's saying, I am smart, I am skilled, I am deserving of great things. It was a silly thing my therapist recommended to get me in a confident mindset before an interview. I would argue, not that embarrassing. Anyway, she made a comment about my ego. So as a joke, I decided to do it again. I had my best friend over and we got wine drunk and we wrote a bunch of affirmations to hide. Some examples in the medicine cabinet. My teeth will regrow. I am shark-like and powerful. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's when I knew I had to bring this. (laughs) In the kitchen drawers. I know when to spoon, but I also know when to fork. I am sexy and (laughs) self-assured. I mean, yeah, fair. Yeah. On uh, on their work desk, I will not just fuck my way to the top of the company. I will fuck my way to the top of the world. Nice. <laughs> wow. Um, there were a bunch more, and my friend and I had a hilarious time writing them. Next time, my perspective. I mean, when mother- can I buy this self help book? Like I, this sounds honestly, great. The next time my mother in law came over, she saw a few of them, and she didn't acknowledge them to me, even <laughs> though she definitely started acting a little weird about me. <laughs> That's fucking. I went hilarious. to run some errands, and when I was out, she confronted Al about the notes and was trying to tell him that I seemed unstable, egotistical, <laughs> and moving in was a bad idea. <laughs> she, she showed him the notes, and he didn't really know what to make of it. He asked me and I said that they were just some silly private notes to boost my self-confidence and make myself laugh. How had she gotten them? Had she been going through my things? (laughs) He said that she was just tidying and saw them and that they were really weird. I was like, have you met me? You should know how weird I am. Anyway, if you don't want want my mom to see my weird shit, you've got to stop letting her go through my shit. Yeah. Also fair. Yeah. Incredibly fair. He asked if I left them on purpose to annoy her, and I admitted that kind of was the joke. But I also have other private shit, so what I said about her needing to stop snooping if she didn't want to find weird crap was still for real. He said that I was making stuff hard for him. His mom was really protective and adjusting to him moving in with a girlfriend for the first time, and I was agitating her on purpose and making her think I wouldn't be a good partner when he wanted her to have the opposite impression of me. Am I the asshole for the note prank? Nope. No, you're not original poster. Nope. You're great. You're great. And I want to reorder that self-help book. Seriously, my teeth will regrow. I am shark-like and powerful. I remember I when t-shirt. I remember when this was first posted, and it made me so happy. It's it's pretty great. I'm gonna put ten minutes on a timer and see where you can take. I mean, obviously, the thing to latch onto is. The notes, the mother snooping is a bad idea, but the notes are so good. I'm curious to see where you guys will take them. Yeah, I mean, so there's a question of like, is this from the fiance's perspective, in which case I think it is kind of a comedic drama about dealing with your mother-in-law, or is it from the mother-in-law's perspective, in which case it might be a light horror comedy in some ways. Oh, yeah, your son's dating a vampire. No big deal. Right, right. Like, you know, you are finding all of these things around the house that are... (laughs) 
<laughs> and, you know, suggestive. In, which, in yeah. which case it needs to be way, way, way bigger than just the notes. It needs to sort of be like, you know, right, you are finding jars of blood in the back of the freezer and you are finding, you know, like very, very strange objects. It would need to be arsenic and old lace. Yes, <laughs> it would yes. need to be. It would need to be that. It would sort of need to be things that are not conclusive proof, but definitely suggest that she has been involved in, most, in multiple murders. I mean, this is a true crime environment and I would love the idea of of the mother-in-law who watches or consumes a lot of true crime content and then gets on the case and I think the payoff of either you know their girlfriend is a thousand percent a vampire or mm-hmm. like there is a very very niche but logical explanation for all of this that is not right. the girlfriend is a silly serial killer either of those endpoints sound good to me this is the like snooping remake of rear window that i guess we need in the 21st century haven't done it with iphones yet <laughs> <laughs> Was Disturbia pre-iPhones? My God, I guess it was. It was. was. Whoa, I feel so old. Jesus, okay. Like Like 2008 or something. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say 2006. Like, I I think it was when we were in high school. Well before, yeah. Wow. We're old, guys. (laughs) iPhones existed. They just, I think. Did they? I think they came out that year, which means they weren't in existence during production. Yeah, Yeah, but at the very least, they were not widespread. No, not yet. Maybe he had a sidekick in that movie. It was Disturbia was released about two months before the first iPhone came out. Oh my god! God damn! So yeah, so it just barely squeaked by. All right, great. Yeah, so Rear Window remake where you are trying to be the supportive mother and trying to just you know be friendly and accepting and be excited about your son finally having found someone that they love and want to spend the rest of their life with. But boy, oh boy, you're finding a lot of strange things around the house. I would love the subversion where it turns out that like the person the mother-in-law is confiding in, like her best friend or her neighbor or something. And she's like, let me tell you about my my son's girlfriend. Turns out they're actually a serial killer. I was going to say, and there needs to be sort of that confidant that is leading her down the wrong path. Absolutely. And it turns out the daughter is like a a detective or something, (laughs) like a private detective. So is the friend trying to pin their own addiction to murder and the mother's best friend owns an apartment building and happens to be renting an apartment to the son and the fiance i was gonna say yeah they all need to be in the same complex yes but very critically yeah like the landlord has access to the building which will then eventually let the mother steal some keys and break into the house on her own Mm mm-hmm But when she confides in her best friend, who also happens to be the landlord, about the first couple of weird things that she's seen around the house, a light bulb goes off over the landlord's head of kind of, wow, I could kill some real birds with the stone (laughs) by kind of disposing of these crimes that I've previously committed uh, by just secreting the evidence inside this apartment. I just want the ending action sequence where the, the daughter or the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law have to team up together and overcome yes. their differences. I love I like that. It. I like it. 100%. 100%. Do put like a time pressure on this of like they're all snowed in over a long weekend or like you know this is March 2020 and they're all about to be locked down together? Ooh. 
Yes, I do think a quarantine one would be great because <laughs> we all went completely insane. Because we all went insane. Yeah. I think they're also, this may not be mutually exclusive with that, but I think that there also needs to be kind of an element of like, maybe the big wedding hasn't happened yet and it's not going to happen for a while. Right. But they're going to City Hall to get like in the eyes of the government married in a week's time. Mm, like, I love the, that. like there is also sort of an element of there's an imminent time limit for they are about to be married, even though the ceremony is not going to be for like a little while. Which makes which makes COVID perfect because they were supposed to get married. Yeah. They canceled their wedding. They oh, are going to get city city hall married and then have a party later. That's what it is. You're exactly right, Sarah. They just had to push back the big party. But That's hey, right. no reason not to get married on paper Let's do this. We have our amazing new apartment. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we are very lucky to be able to have mom on hand. It's great. But then mom starts seeing weird shit around that apartment. I love this. You do have about three minutes and 30 seconds uh, to flesh this out any if you would like or, you know, either the incidents that, that create suspicion or kind of these characters' personalities and, and how they interact. How much of the original tension between his mother and the bride-to-be do we want to maintain? At at least a good deal of it. I think that they need to go into the movie with sort of this attitude of they respect each other when they're face-to-face, but then the son and the fiancé leave and the mother is left alone with her best friend and she immediately starts criticizing and making jokes about her and the best friend is maybe even a little bit like... Hey, that's kind of harsh. And the mother is like, I know, I know, I know. But like, ah, I'll get over it. Give me time. Like there need, there's definitely right. some tension there at the start of the film, which I think is also necessary for that also needs to be something in the back of the audience's mind of like, is she actually uncovering a murder or is this woman's imagination and dislike for this person? Just is she just letting that run away with her? Right. And do we is there still room for like she's snooping and like we get passive aggressive notes or is it all murder stuff all the time? I think that there can be some good passive aggressive notes in there as well. Yes. I think that that can also be part of the mix for sure. Right. And there's like a wonderful turn that can happen where they can have a confrontation in the second act of like, you have all this weird shit in your house. Who's like, I left that to find because you are a snooper. And just like you left that knife that's clearly <laughs> crusted with blood to fuck with me and then you know the the daughter-in-law can be like what knife but that but it but needs to be like the fourth thing like you know like you yeah, let exactly. those bats of acid 100 percent, and the chains those are my chains like you know this other thing that was a joke oh my right, god the wow i can't believe human fingernails like what yeah and then like as they're going out the door she says one last thing and that's the one that makes them all go uh what was that excuse me what where did you say that you found that? Wait, what? Yeah. And then the mystery is on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have one minute. Who is in this Rear Window remake? I think that Jamie Lee Curtis has to be the mother. Yes. Yes. Mia Goth should be the uh, Oh, totally. The daughter-in-law. The daughter-in-law. 100%. 100%. Yes. And I'm trying to think about, like, who would be a good murderous best friend? Um, 
Ellen like Burstyn. Olivia Coleman. Ellen Burstyn would also be great. Yeah. <laughs> I would also argue Tina Fey. Oh, ooh, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> a little, a little younger, young, but, maybe. Yeah, but, but but she could be aged up. Yeah. Just a younger friend in the apartment. Yeah. Who's the Who's the son? Who cares? That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> He's like he should be like mostly unseen through most of the movie. I think that'd be funny. Yeah, he only that shows up like very briefly and only seen from the back of his head or whatever. Chris Hemsworth, here you go. Ooh. It, like mm-hmm. for for as little as he'll be in the movie, he could knock that out in a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's time. I'm glad we solved this delightful mystery and uh, the rear window r- remake that needs to be happen in the in the 21st century. That's well right. done, that's everybody. Right. I've been trying to figure out a way to make a rear view quarantine story work. And this is this is perfect. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that the big question is, is it all happening on screens or is it actually going over there with sort of that kind of idea? With this one, I think that it needs to be sort of they are in the same building and are in the same quote unquote bubble. Right. That's what it's called. The bubble. The bubble. <laughs> I love it. Fabulous. Well, we should we should start immediately. We're going to go right the bubble uh, and we'll be back in a little bit uh, for more with Zoe. Hello there, Zach Valenti, jumping into this episode with this brief reminder that we have an active Patreon page to support the production of No Bad Ideas and all the other crazy worlds we're building behind the scenes. To check that out, scope the sweet rewards we offer for monthly subscriptions, as well as how to sign up yourself. Head on over to nobadideaspodcast.com support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. If you already support the show, we so appreciate that. And regardless, thank you for listening. All right, let's get back to more No Bad Ideas. Alrighty, welcome back everyone to No Bad Ideas. We are here with our guest, Zoe Tokushigi. Zoe, last time that we talked, you were in the process of, you were sort of on the long, long climb towards actual publication of your first book, which has now come out. So I guess the first question is just, how are you feeling? How is life different since the last time that we had you on the show? I keep telling people it doesn't, it still doesn't really seem real. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know that it will feel real until I go into a store and see it when I'm not expecting to see it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right now you're kind of going to like the events for it. So it's a very planned encounter. Or yeah. Or like people are texting me pictures of it, which is a whole sure. different thing. Right. Um, I think part of it is also that because it's a middle grade book, it, the audience who's reading it are not ideally not on social media. So it's, not like, I'm he- yeah, it's not like I'm hearing from the audience I'm hearing from like my family and friends who have read it. Right. So I have no idea how it's. I will not look at Goodreads or Amazon reviews. So I have no Protect idea. Protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. 
cool. We talked about this a little bit the last time that you were on the show, but people listen to these out of order. They sort of things get lost in the tides of podcasting time. So just like, let's do a little bit of basics covering. What is Irisano about? Like, what is the elevator pitch for the book? Irisano is a troublemaking military brat whose family has finally settled down in Hawaii. And her goal is to make her teacher give up on trying to teach her anything (laughs) by pranking her. And her teacher decides, I will prank her back. And they get involved in a prank war in the first book. Uh, (laughs) And it has great illustrations. I was going to ask about like what it's like to work with an illustrator on this sort of like are you guys identifying key moments to put into the book like how is that notes process like that's that's a whole other thing about writing a middle grade book is you've got to account for the pictures well the way we've done it on the last two is during like once the the draft has been mostly solidified and we're doing line edits we'll go through and highlight different scenes that we think would make good illustrations and we we have been doing like a hundred, I think, for each one. Wow. So there's some going back and forth about what we what we think and then and then someone on the editorial side compiles them all and sends them to the illustrator, along with any reference that I have to send. In this case I had to I was sending I said something should look like a Scooby Doo still. <laughs> and so they were like, I don't understand what this means. So I was like, Okay, let me go find what I'm talking about so you know the vibe that sort of stuff amazing that's great yeah and then at some point I see at some point I'll see the sketches and if there's anything like wrong which usually isn't but you know if I'm like oh that character actually has glasses like make sure they have glasses that kind of stuff totally yeah no I'm just thumbing through the book right now and I'm getting distracted because I'm just like, oh, I want to keep looking at these illustrations. I just want to keep seeing them and flipping through more pages and they are finding so delightful. more things. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious also to sort of dig into like what happens when, you know, you, you said that, that this doesn't quite feel real yet, but like, have you been able to sort of switch your brain over to other things? Are you still in Arisena mode? Like, how do you let go from the project of writing a novel? Well, it's complicated because I'm I'm on contract for writing three books. So I just finished sure. I just finished the second book, like line edits. But as I have said to someone before, when I write something and I'm done with it, it's dead to me. I like forget what I put in there. <laughs> I was looking at the most recent draft like and I'm divest. like yeah, I was looking at the most recent draft and I was like, I don't remember that joke isn't mine, right? Like someone else put that joke in there. And I went back and checked the first draft. I'm like, no, that was my joke. That was you. I just do not remember putting it in there. And I think that's probably a healthier way of doing it as opposed to... For sure. Yeah, I'm feeling very precious over it. I, I Maybe going through an MFA helped me feel a little bit less precious about my writing nonstop getting it torn apart. And people, my ed, you know, my editor and the people involved are much nicer than people in an MFA workshop. That's would easy you, to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that that is the main skill that you've carried over from the MFA world into this world? The sort of buildup of resistance to any sort of criticism after having received so much of it? That's a big one. I think... I learned a lot in the MFA, actually. Like, I don't necessarily recommend it to everyone, but for me, it was incredibly valuable. I learned a lot, how to be a lot more deliberate with certain writing techniques 
I, I learned a lot about how to observe other people's writing and understand how they're crafting their story. And I learned a lot about revising. I was never very good reviser. And that's actually a big skill is to Hmm. write a first draft and then look at it and, and be able to detach your brain from what you want to be and look at what it actually is. Mm. Uh, And that is something that I at least had to be taught. Like, I don't know if everyone does, but for me, it was, I learned so many different ways of doing that that were massively helpful. Uh, And I think that's probably what has carried through the most. Can we just, I'm now very curious about that because I think that we, this is something that we all, especially as we sort of do a lot of three-headed revision amongst our own work, it is something that we think about a lot. So what are some of those ways that you discovered or were taught sort of, you know, what is the, as much as it is possible to have any punctual advice on these things, but sort of, you know, what are the bullet points of the things that you learned about the revision process? So one of the things, one of the techniques that I find very useful, especially if I'm doing like a short story or something, is I had a teacher who would cut up sections of your story Hmm. and be like, like this section all takes place in this scene or like this all is, this is all related to here. Or one time I was going through someone's story and I color coded, like all of this is flashback. All of this is like narrative summary memory and like kind of just to visualize how you're telling the story and whether or not that's the most effective way to do it. Another way that I have found is that I'll just send a very rough draft to someone and be like, what about this is interesting? Mm-hmm. Like I have this idea, but what about it is actually interesting? And what are the the areas that what calls uh, out to you? Yeah, like yeah. so. This is kind of a, an example. Is in one of my workshops, I had written the short story, and there was a couple of brief instances of talking about music. And my professor goes, you know, this is actually seems like a really interesting element of this character is that they notice the music around them and. Uh, how that plays into the life, maybe consider pulling that forward a little bit. And just like finding like a little detail that maybe you didn't realize you were doing a lot of in your first draft and using that uh, to bring out more in the second draft. And sometimes you'll just end up getting rid of it. (laughs) But it is is helpful to, to think about in a different way. Totally. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that we've also even run into some of that where one of us will turn to the other and kind of go, most of the script is fine, but like these three pages are really interesting. Why can, why is that not sort of what this is all about? Can we sort of find a way to maximize that? Can we find a way to sort of really bring that out into the rest of this? So yeah, I totally hear that. Well, it sounds like the, the three of you have something similar. To, I have a writing group from, from grad school that I still talk to. And finding people who understand your creative process and who understand what you're trying to do, or at least are willing to go with what you're trying to do, as opposed to sometimes in a workshop, you get kind of like, I want the story to be this, as opposed to being like, I can tell you want the story to be like this. Let me try and help you get there. That is absolutely the most helpful thing to me. I also find it very helpful. I don't really find written notes that helpful. I do a lot better when I'm just like talking to people about my idea. So mm-hmm. that that has been another thing I've taken from workshops. Yeah. Although in most MFAs, they don't let the author talk. Uh, <laughs> during, <laughs> Alas. Yeah. It's, it's at the end where I'm like, well, actually, let me like 
Can you elaborate on this thing you said earlier? I really want to know more about that. Cool. So you are now in the... You're now at the end-ish of the drafting process for book two, right? Yes. Uh, it is going into copy editing next, I believe. How quickly do you have to turn these things around? Like, it seems, especially <laughs> for, for, for YA middle grade stuff, like a series has to exist very quickly in succession. Well, the time frame for this one was super crunched. I got the outline for the book mid-April and ended up turning in my first draft at the end of June. Wow. Wow. And then I think I had a month for the second revision, uh, which was like adding another 20,000 words or so. And then for the line edits, I think it was about three weeks. Hmm. So yeah, this, this one has been very crunched. I think we're going to have a little bit more time on the next one. We already have sure. an outline uh, sketched out. We just haven't fully settled on what it's going to be yet. Cool. Excellent. Now, were you heavily involved in the translation to audiobook, or was that something you were more hands-off on? I was actually very surprised by how involved I was. Um, like, they sent us some samples of different narrators, and, you know, we, we like, ranked which ones we liked. And then, after they picked the narrator, they actually called me and had me sit in on a meeting where we went over a, a word list of things that, you know, want to make sure they're pronouncing correctly or how do you want us to say this word or, and any notes about accents or vocal styles and that kind of stuff. And I don't, I think that's actually not very usual. It was just kind mm. of how we did this one. And it was, it was very cool. Our, my narrator is wonderful. She's, she's actually like a professional voice actress also, in addition to being a, a narrator. Well, that's, that's awesome. great. How, how did you, approach or navigate just i mean the illustration is such a, a big part of the story i'm just you know curious as somebody who is addicted to audiobooks was it hard or i don't know uh, just like kind of surrendering some of that control that was another thing that i was surprised how involved they had me be in they say they had a lot of the illustrations you are more supplementary but then there are some that have text in them or have actual some actual storytelling right. in them so we had like this it'll be like a dish that shows like the yeah. different ingredients that went into it and things like yeah. that so we had like a, a spreadsheet of all of the examples of illustrations that would need explanation in order for the text to make sense and then we went back and forth on how to narrate that like there's a there's a, a page that's like a comic strip in the book and that obviously does not translate well to audio. So we went back a couple of times on how to frame that in a way that was clear that it was both a comic strip originally and that the scene that it was portraying was still understandable. And that was that was really cool, actually. That's freaking awesome. Where do you find the material for these? Sort of like, where's the inspiration? Is it from your own prank-filled past as a Hellion child? Oh, please. You knew me when I was 15. Was I a prankster? <laughs> and a, a unbridled agent of chaos. No, not at all. We were both, I think, very timid, lawful goods adolescents. The, 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 like, most rebellious thing we did was hang out in the, like, disused pub. That's right, Oxford. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was not very much of a prankster. Um, a lot of the inspiration comes from asking other people or just like Googling, hey, what's a good prank? 
What's a good prank that's not harmful? It's very hard to find those, let me tell you. Also, I found I found one that's like mean pranks. And one of them was like throw a plastic ball at someone and like yell a Pokemon thing or something. I don't remember exactly what the mm-hmm. phrase was. Oh, like, like, that's dude. not harmful. That's funny. Like that's genuinely actually kind of funny. Right. I don't know. The way people so people think some pranks are perfectly harmless and other ones are really I'm like, are, are you sure? <laughs> this seems very harmful, actually. Right. But so you do need to then kind of navigate the, I want to have this be something that feels genuinely prank-curry, but I also don't want it to be a how-to guide for actual destruction and mayhem. Yeah, yeah. And I don't like, I don't want the character to be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, she's not doing it to be mean. Yeah. If she was being mean, like, that would be way easier, actually. <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, but a lot of the other stuff, like uh, the, the games she plays with her friends and uh, her family and life is very much pulled from my life. My dad was actually laughing at one point because I, there's a reference to what the character's dad's favorite meal at a certain restaurant is. And he's like, that's me. No. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, that's you. Does it give you, like, to, to sort of pull details in that way like a different perspective on your childhood or it's just like ah, i need a thing this is useful so i think i have a weirdly good memory for a lot of my childhood um Hmm. so i don't know i think it just it makes me remember you know what it was like being 11 which is Hmm. not the greatest uh (laughs) period of time in i think most people's lives but it is interesting to look back on it now as an adult and, and think about how that shaped me in some ways Cool. I don't know. Yeah. Or is there any other part of the book that you want to brag on, Zoe? <laughs> People ask me stuff like this. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, this has nothing to do with the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to brag that I had a podcast <laughs> like 10 years before Gabrielle ever did. <laughs> sure, sure. We can make that Back happen. 2006 or so. Yeah, we can. I can. I can tee you up for something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to tee me up. I mean, it's not like you can still find it. I don't think. <laughs> Is bookworm banter lost to the eight sands of ages? I'm pretty sure I still have the files. I just don't think the RSS exists anymore. Uh, uh, alas. Yeah, but yeah, I remember Gabriel. Gabriel, and I were pen pals at this point, and he would send very long reviews of. It, it was a great podcast. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> You got to do the relaunch when you get to like a good, like a 20 year anniversary. That would require pinning down Lucy, who is very hard to pin down. (laughs) That that would require. Yeah. Like the, the right positioning of the stars, the moon and various other sky symbols. Yeah. She and her family are busy making board games. (laughs) And she was also sort of a like, elfin unreliable chaotic creature even like way 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 back when like zoe and i first knew her which i mean you knew her years before i did yeah that's true (laughs) she comes from a family of artists and you can tell cool all right zoe we could keep talking about this for a very long time but we should let you go it is the weekend but before we let you run, what is the best way for people to check out your work and yourself and all the things that you do? Where should they go for more of Zoe? Uh, I mean, I use the same handle for all of my socials now. So it's Zoe Tokushiki uh, on Twitter and Instagram. 
Instagram, I, I will post some stuff related to the book, but it's mostly my personal Instagram. So I hope you enjoy K-pop concert videos. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> and then I also made a TikTok because that's apparently how you promote a book these days. And I've made, I think, two reasonably funny TikToks for someone of my advanced age. Wow. <laughs> that's two and more than I've ever made. <laughs> and then my website is just zoetishiki.com, which has some stuff on it. And if you are someone with a middle-aged reader in your household, or just someone that enjoys a quality story about prank mastering, definitely check out Iri Sano. It is a wonderful, lovely book, and we cannot recommend it heartily enough here at No Bad Ideas. So please, please check it out at your local bookstore. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our Idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by Statesher and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love. 